Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall, and thrilled to welcome on to the program the head coach there at Arizona, Jed Fish. Jed, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, now it, it, it's funny. You, you turn on any Arizona game, and, and it feels like the the announcers are contractually obligated mentioned that that despite working for for Bill Belichick and Sean McVay and all these great head coaches out there that that have won a lot you know everybody me- brings up your start working for Steve Spurrier what is the what is the best head ball coach story that, that you can at least tell that that is safe for consumption here on the podcast yeah you know there's so many good ones when you work for him for two and a half years or three years um you know and I had like every title known to man I always like to say because of the fact that uh we really had one GA on offense, one GA on defense, no student assistance. And I just kept begging, begging, begging for an opportunity. And uh, I, I held every title from turn the lights off coach to go get me sandwich coach or, you know, the uh, game plan coach, cards coach. Um, but the one that the story that always stands out to me is uh, he was coming to my wedding um, when I was coaching for the Ravens at the time. And uh, he just got done with the Redskins. So he's living in Washington and I was getting married in New Jersey. And I said, coach, it's going to be easy. You're just going to get on one road, Delaware Memorial Bridge, take it up. And next thing you know, he calls me the day of my wedding. He said, I'm in Philadelphia. I said, well, (laughs) you made the wrong turn. Uh, You got to follow the New Jersey sign. And he's yelling at me on the phone. And then I gave him the wrong directions. And I'm I'm right back in GA mode. I'm straight back (laughs) to being his GA three hours before my wedding, nonetheless. And I said, well, let me, my dad went to school in, in Pennsylvania. Let me give you, he'll get, take the phone. So he, so coach is trying to describe where he's at. And my dad goes, here's what I would tell you. Pull over, go to a gas station, buy a map, and then take the map and try to see if you can find your way right back to this spot. And he goes, finally, someone in your family's smart and can give me some good advice on how to get there. And I'm like, if I knew that, I would have given you that four hours ago. But uh, he's a beauty, and uh, he's been to almost—he's been to a game every year that I've coached that he's been retired, and he's been an amazing supporter all the way throughout uh, my my really tenure of coaching. You mentioned something earlier uh, before the before we started recording uh, that you just wouldn't go away. So in terms of getting your start, you were persistent, you were resilient. How, how much of that do you think is applicable now? For, for someone young trying to get into the profession and, and maybe compare it to the time that you started? And are there similarities in it or differences or what would you say? Yeah, coach, I, I think it's so unique now. And I try to I try to tell that story to the younger guys and I, I don't know if it necessarily sticks. <laughs> uh, you know, I never, I would never dare leave the office before the head coach left the office or I would never dare not get there before him. And, I think we're in a little bit different environment right now. Um, I'm not sure if the younger coaches, you know, I used to always think of myself as a younger coach, but now that I'm 47, now I'm on the other side, I guess. But, uh, you know, I I drove to work every day with the mentality of I don't want to let down the head coach. And I drove to work every day, no matter if I was at the Rams, the Patriots, or if I was a GA or a QC, whatever it might have been. And uh, I just think the younger coaches need to, really take that mentality of like, you know, everybody wants the job. Everybody wants your job. And to get the next job is so much harder that, you know, you need everybody to talk about your work ethic because in the end, everybody wants to promote how hard they work. But in the end, um, how hard do you really work to be able to 
be the next guy that someone wants to take a chance on. Because as you know, when you're hiring somebody, you're hiring someone that's going to, you know, your wife and kids that, you know, your other assistant coach's wife and kids, they're all counting on this one assistant coach to do their job. So uh, I think that it's that mentality of how hard you want to work, how much does it matter to you? It needs to, needs to really be part of every, every young coach's mentality. And I really liked that you made a comment, uh, how hard it is to get the next job and so much, uh, and you've moved a lot as many coaches have, and that's similar. It's just kind of part of how it works to begin with. And man, you've had some amazing stops along the way. I would love to hear, uh, possibly just the contrast now of you being a head coach versus maybe what you thought it was being like a head coach when you saw either Belichick or you saw McVay or you saw Coach Spurrier, right? And and from what you thought being a head coach was like as you saw them do it, to now you're in the seat and what it's really like. And and I'd love to hear you just kind of d- dissect that. Yeah, um, I'll say this. It's definitely uh, different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I read a, I think it was in Parcells's book when he said, you know, you write your to-do list and then you show up the next morning with your to-do list from the day before and you have to rip it up because you have eight more to-dos <laughs> uh, you weren't counting on. Um, I, I really believe that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, and I'm learning it and I'm running the offense. So I'm calling mm. every play and uh, still scripting every play in practice and installing it and, um, but as the head coach, I think what you don't realize, what you don't realize is what all those other guys did when you were wondering what they were doing. <laughs> you know, that I, I would say that's really the biggest thing for me is like, I could just imagine what our assistant coaches are like, right? When I'm like, hey, we got to start this offensive meeting at 1130, right? And they're like, well, we've been here since 730. Why can't we start it at 745? And I'm like, well, there's about eight other meetings that I have to go to. And in order for me to be ready for this meeting at 1130 with you guys, I need some time to myself also. I need to be able to, um, where you guys have been in your offices, you know, doing all this stuff that you need to get done. Um, I think I, you have such a different respect for the guys that you've worked for. And I've worked for 10 of them, 10 different head coaches. And um, they've all been different and they've all done things differently. But um, the position itself, you you do lose track a lot of the X's and O's become, you know, harder and harder to get to because there's so many issues with the Jacks and the Joes and there's always something that comes up. And right when you think you're ready to do something else, you get a call from a donor or you get a call from a administrator or, you know, you don't realize that there's an obligation that you have to get to in order to, you know, represent the university in a certain manner. Um, so yeah, it's been unique. It's been different. And then you start wanting to add in NIL and transfer portal and all the other good stuff of college football 2023. And it's, uh, it's been different. Yeah. You know, a a couple of things you just said, I I think are really impactful. The friction point, uh, as I, on the other side, ran the defense for a long time. And, and with that, there's, there's friction points of, of maybe an identity for the entire team. Your time is already really divided. And then and the efficiency in which you can run the whole program besides calling plays. And, yeah. and wow, is that difficult? And you're doing it in a very, very unique and challenging time. Um, I'm wondering, as you see um, your future and, and as you stay at, and continue to have success, 
if you see your role remaining the same, if you've already thought about, man, is there a time I won't be able to keep doing this? Um, and I think it happens with every head coach. I'm just where, where is that with you at this point uh, today? And, and is it sustainable? And do you feel great about kind of the model you have going? Yeah, I mean, it is certainly, I think, something that everybody thinks about, you know, when you become, I, you know, your first year as a head coach, you don't think about it, right? Your second year as a head coach, you're just trying to make up for all your mistakes from your first year as a head coach. You know, your third year as a head coach, you're thinking to yourself, like, okay, well, maybe I kind of know a little bit more than I did the last two years. So, but I believe there's got to become a time that you're like, all right, you know, what am I? Uh, I'll never forget what Brian Billick said to me. Um, I asked Brian one time, I said, Brian, you got hired at the Ravens. I was working for Brian for four years mm -hmm. and Brian got hired at the Ravens because he set the all time scoring record at the Vikings as the offensive coordinator. And he called plays for one year and then turned it over mm -hmm. um, at Baltimore. And then for the next eight years or six years, he was not the play caller and then had to take it over there at the end. And I asked him in the middle of that time when he was not the running the offense, I said, coach, how can you not run the offense? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and he said, and this is what he said to me, and I'll never forget it. I don't live by it, but I never will forget it. He goes, Jed, it took me about 16 hours a day to be a really good offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. It takes me about six and a half hours a day to sleep, to make sure that I'm ready for the next day mm -hmm. and feel refreshed. He goes, so that's 22 and a half hours. And I know they're not paying me $5 million a year for an hour and a half of work. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, you start realizing, and that was back in 05, right? And you start realizing that it's, he's like, the head coaching job takes a lot more than an hour and a half. So how do you run it? You run out of hours. So yeah. which job are you cheating? Which job are you not doing as well? Which job are you, um, you know, so right now I feel as if, um, for me, uh, with the program where we're at, uh, you know, I'm very confident in, in right now running the offense and how we're doing it. Uh, coach Burrier, on the other hand, would tell you, you know, you got hired because of your being an offensive coach, you called the offensive plays, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's two different strategies behind it. Mm -hmm. Currently, I feel good about calling it still. Mm -hmm. Um I do feel like there comes a point in time where you, I don't know what I would do, you know, yeah. during like, the rest of the day. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I, I drive a lot of people crazy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe one day, but I don't think anytime soon. And I certainly wouldn't let it get away from me enough that it wasn't our offense. Yeah. You know, I would still need to feel comfortable that mm -hmm. if you lose a coach, which we all know you're going to do constantly that you don't lose a system. Yeah. Like I know that defensively, it's always hard when you're on the other side of the ball that, you know, if you don't have the ability to promote from within, then you're, you have a chance of having to bring in a whole new defense. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why it's been really important for me to try to build a staff where you could promote from within if someone gets a better, you know, yeah. head coaching opportunity. But on the offensive side, like I don't want that for both sides of the ball. Yeah. It's very good and, and so insightful. And I think it's just something that every head coach wrestles with. So the way you articulated it and and to hear from, yeah, uh, someone that I think so many of us respect um, with Brian, it's just like that, that makes so much sense because there is only so much time. And quite frankly, 
your ascent and most of our ascents have been because of an expertise on one side of the ball or the other. And ironically, uh, sometimes as the head coach, you're no longer doing what really got you to where you had the opportunity to do <laughs> what you're yeah. hired for, which is, which is crazy. I'm wondering uh, the contrast between maybe what you've seen from the players uh, in the NFL versus the players and the young people in college. And, and maybe if, if your approach has had to change at all with the teaching, instruction, relationships, um, as the age is slightly different, or if it's about the same, and and what insights could you share with us that way? Yeah, well, the first thing that we felt when I got hired here is that um, yeah, I heard I heard this saying once that said, uh, "If Nike built a hotel, we could all imagine what the hotel would look like, but if Hyatt created a shoe." we'd have no idea what the speaker would look like. <laughs> and the reason was they said that Nike is a brand that Hyatt is a logo. Mm. And what I looked at it as I said, I want our program to be a brand, not a logo. I don't want it mm. just to be Wildcats football over the last 25 years. Cause I thought that was going to be too much work to change the overall impression of the program and, and how we wanted to live our program. So when I got there, I said, we're going to make Arizona football brand and the brand is going to be the 33rd NFL team. And we're going to take on the mentality of everything that we do is going to be an NFL mentality. We're going to treat them like pros uh, everywhere in our building. It says, be a pro, um, act like a pro. And a pro isn't just an NFL player. A pro is how do you treat people around you? Are you a professional do you leave the locker room in a certain way when you a oh, visiting locker room? Do you leave an airplane in a way when you, you know, do you, are you a pro in everything you do? Are you a pro in how you handle your academics? Um, are you a pro obviously? And do you train like a pro uh, when it comes to football? Do you take care of your body? You know, do you just show up for practice or you, do you do an hour and a half of prehab, rehab, post-hab? Uh, do you, is nutrition important to you? So all parts of our program was going to try to replicate an NFL system. Mm -hmm. um, I brought in probably 10 to 12 head coaches in the NFL to talk to our players. Um, Coach Belichick's been in Tucson four times since I've been here. Coach McVay's been here. Coach Taylor's been here. Coach Carroll's been here. Uh, GMs of other teams have been here. Jim Caldwell's been here. We've, we've had plenty of guys that have talked to our team um about what it is to be a pro coach billick was here mike smith was here and when we do that we want them to understand like hey being a pro is like it's the greatest compliment that you could have on a, on a football team like when you walk into an nfl team you say hey that guy's a pro that doesn't mean that guy's the most talented it means that guy knows how to do everything right mm -hmm. and so that's kind of how we built our program now, dealing with the younger generation, let's call it the 18 to 22 year olds that all raise their hand and say, who wants to be a pro? And they all say, me. <laughs> um, it's just, I, I think that they all, you know, hindsight is 2020. So they're like, man, I wish that I did a better job taking care of my body in the summer, like coach told us to. So then I wasn't dealing with this lingering soft tissue injury, or I wasn't. Or, you know, I guess when coach said it's important to be 225 pounds as a linebacker and I'm 214 and coach is all over me about it, I guess that's not really being a pro like he was referring to mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. 
So I think what we're working on every day for the last three years, and we put it up in every team meeting, is are we behaving like a pro? Are we acting like a pro? And then we'll give examples. You know, guy misses a class. Is that acting like a pro? You know, you got all sorts of things. You know, I, these three players mistreatment. Okay, well, let's listen to what, you know, Fred Taylor said about treatment. Let's listen to what Cooper Cup talks about. You know, we brought in the head athletic trainer of the Rams to Zoom with our team two weeks ago. And just to explain to him, okay, you know, I gave him like five hypotheticals. I said, all right, this uh, Todd Gurley sprains his ankle. Uh, what does Todd Gurley do in order to get back? Um, you know, and you try to use examples of guys bringing baseball, basketball, Steve Kerr. Okay, Steph Curry did this. What does Steph Curry do on a night off? And try to teach our guys on how to be a pro. Man, I, I love not only the the idea, but the tangible examples you're providing from real people who get garner immediate respect. And not that you don't as the head coach, but sometimes other voices are needed to drive home the same point that you're saying, much like a parent. Sometimes one other voice that's respected with with one sentence can drive home hours of what you've been trying to get done. I really like the idea of just those visitors. And it sounds like you've done a great job. Not only have you worked for great coaches, but you built relationships where they'll come. Sometimes you can work for someone and then invite them and they, they're not coming. So it seems like that you've, you fostered great relationships that are enduring that are now kind of giving back to the team you're coaching. Yeah. And I, that's a message I've given to our assistant coaches, to our young coaches, to our players, like guys, you understand you know, Coach Belichick doesn't have to get on an airplane here on his own cost in April every year. Vic Fangio doesn't have to fly out here and spend three days with our staff. You know, they do that because of, hopefully, they felt as if when I was working for them at that time that I was giving them everything that I have. And there's a loyalty that gets built by, you know, doing things right and building friendships and building lasting relationships. But, you know, if you're cheating the system, they're, they're not going to return the favor. So... Um, you know, and I tell our players that if you come here and I tell our recruits that if you come here, you know, you're going to have more access to NFL players and coaches than any other program. You know, there's just no doubt about it um, for two reasons, because there's about five or six coaches in the country that could make just the same amount of phone calls. But from what I understand, the other four or five don't. Mm. So if that's the case, then we would then we win on to, for that reason alone. Uh, in terms of access, um, it's very important for me, for our guys to be able to hear from NFL people and NBA people. Um, our quarterback, Jaden Delora, sprained his ankle pretty significantly a few weeks back. And with an injury in your final year, there's always anxiety, right? It's like, what does this mean? What? So I had him on the phone with Steve Kerr and Coach Kerr talked to him for an hour and talked to him about all sorts of things in life, about how to handle adversity and how to handle this and how to handle your rehab. And then I had Mike Lombardi talk to him about what does it look like draft status wise? What does that mean for you? You know, you have 34 starts already. Take a deep breath, you know, and how you behave in practice will represent what they'll be bringing you in for anyway, right? Most likely, you're going to get drafted to be a number two somewhere. 
So they want to see as you're recovering from injury, how do you behave? How do you study? But if I say it, everyone thinks the head coach has an ulterior motive. Yeah, we all know. But if somebody says that that doesn't have an ulterior motive, I think that really carries a lot of weight. I think the other thing that carries a lot of weight is you generate credibility by whom you have access to that you can connect your players to. And when they see you as the head reaching out to, to someone that's arguably the best in the business and you've done that on their behalf, uh, trust starts to be fostered at a deeper level and genuine concern that they see that you having for them manifests in maybe even a deeper way than it already has in your program. And, and that, that story spreads pretty quickly amongst your team. And I think just fosters that you have their best interest um, at heart. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, one of the big question marks that was asked of me, like, why did you leave pro football to go back to college football? Right. Yeah. And it's for what you just said. It's to build a relationship with these kids that you could help, you know, foster a relationship that maybe some of these kids haven't had in the past, or maybe you could help impact their lives in a different manner than just waiting to draft them or waiting to pick them and then not really investing in them in the same regard. Um, I, you know, it's a, it's obviously a little bit more challenging because you become so committed to these 18 to 22 year olds that, you know, I always say I have, you know, three daughters and 110 sons and, you know, it becomes one of those situations. You, you just want to do so much for them that you're constantly trying to gain their trust fast. Yeah. And I think yeah. you mentioned the word trust earlier, but, you know, obviously we always talk about trusting the process where well, the process starts from the recruitment. Yeah. And I think it really starts with them believing you're an honest person. That's going to really help them. Well, and I know we're for, for those listeners that can't see uh, Jed or coaches in recruiting right now. So we're talking to him from a hotel room uh, during a bye week or an off week out trying to to uh, bring the next tier of player and person into their program. I would love to, to hear just after you've been in the NFL and now you're back in college and now you're on the recruiting trail again. And because you mentioned loyalty earlier, pretty unique and challenging times to select and assess and build loyalty along the way. And so what, what's that been like for you now from the head coach's seat and the recruiting perspective? Yeah, well, you know, we've been, uh, if you kind of look at where we are in our two and a half years into this program, um, when I got hired here, we only had two scholarships available. Um, so our first recruiting class was the class of 22. And in that class, we have 11 starters right now. Um, and we have a group that's an extremely tight knit family. Um, the moms call my wife constantly. Um, and I know that, you know, from everything I've heard about you is that you've built an unbelievable family environment everywhere you've been and the importance of and maybe off the air, you could tell me about how that Sundays work because I haven't figured that one out yet. But yeah. uh, the, uh, the the fact of the matter is that when you go out on the road recruiting, we I think everyone wants to talk about a family environment. I think everybody wants to talk about, hey, we're going to treat your son like they're my own. I mean, I think that would be ridiculous not to think all 130 don't say it, right? I just say, I'm going to tell you exactly what every coach tells you, Okay. And you could determine if I'm lying to you or not. All I ask you to do is talk to our players. Mm -hmm. Don't, I go, don't believe what I tell you because I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you Arizona's the best place for you. I'm going to tell you that we're going to treat you like our sons. I'm going to tell you all those things, but so is every other head coach. So now what I ask you to do is 
talk to our players, any player, all the players, some of the players, and whatever they tell you, make your decision on. If they tell you, ah, coach isn't that guy, don't come here. Yeah. I'm not going to try to persuade you otherwise. Yeah. And that's kind of been my pitch. Because um, I don't know, I, I really do believe in how we do it. You know, we brought in, we have a very diverse team. We have a Polynesian community of about 24 players um, on our team. That's an enormous uh, family environment there. Um, we have diversity throughout uh, from, I think we have 11 players from Hawaii at this point in time and California and Arizona. And um, really that's kind of what our team is built on, but it's built really upon one nucleus of family. And I think it's up to the players to really represent that, not me. I, I, I really like the uh, kind of the litmus test of talking to your players because we, we all know real recognizes real. And there's a sense they, they you wouldn't call it recruiting um, if there wasn't an, an element of persuasion to it, right? That's different than a conversation. That's different than just you and I having a dialogue. Once it's right. once it's within recruiting, right? That kind of puts everyone up their radars up as to what's truth here. If the player then chooses to visit um, your campus or grounds, access to your players, I think, is where they go for truth. And and so I, I think it's really wise. Yeah, and we've also incorporated, uh, when I was at uh, Michigan, we incorporated an idea that I've taken with me is that um, all unofficial visitors, um, we do a, anybody that comes to a game, the parents, we do a barbecue or a tailgate for all of our current players, parents, all of our coaches, families, and all of our visit recruits, families. Mm -hmm. And we say, moms talk to moms, yeah. dads talk to dads. Go ask them questions. Yeah. Again, you know, it's the old, are you selling or are you telling, right? Yeah. I go with the, you know, I'll tell you how it is here. You're probably going to believe I'm selling it. So might as well ask those other parents that really have no skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just, it's just been really fun. Number one, I know how busy you are. I appreciate your time. And it's just been fun to get to know you. I've, I've kind of watched from a distance and you and I haven't met, but it's clear the progress that's being made. It's clear the identity and the specificity and the how you're distinguishing the program. Uh, because there are programs that kind of are like any other program. And then there are those that kind of compete on differentiation, where they're looking to be special and set apart in some way. And, and so I think you're maximizing not only the experiences you've had, but man, you're leveraging that on a day-to-day -day basis to really benefit your players. And, and it shows. So just really appreciate your time and been really fun to talk to you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. And sorry for the little bit of delay, but uh, looking forward to uh, meeting you in person, Coach. It'd be great. Thanks, Absolutely. Thanks, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely have to set that up at, at some point in, in the near future. Maybe get you out to Arizona game, Bronco, at some point. Uh, but, uh, hey, the, the slate is loaded. I, I know you guys are having a great season and uh, a lot of tough games ahead, but uh, we really appreciate the time, Jed. And I, I guess go out there and get, get the next wave of uh, Wildcats out there for you. Uh, appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, that's the goal. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Absolutely. All right. Well, for Bronco Mendenhall and for Jed Fish, I'm Brian Fisher. We'll catch you again next week.